0: This episode is supported by EarnIn. Life doesn't happen bi weekly, so why should Payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with EarnIn. EarnIn is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the EarnIn app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download EarnIn today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under Podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under Podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location see slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 171. Show notes for this episode can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 171. fall in Seattle. It is rainy and windy and just disgusting out and I'm loving it. I have on my Ugg slippers and a puffy vest, like I'm in my element here. Enough of this summertime stuff. I am so ready for fall, I love fall. And like anytime I can put on like layer fleece and put on puffy things, I'm all in. I actually spent two hours at Target today. Shh, don't tell anyone. I was supposed to just go in and return two coats I had bought online for Vinny to try out, neither of which worked. So I was like, I'm just going to go return these really quick. And then while I was there, I thought I should probably go check just really quick, check and see if I could find a different coat that actually would work for him for a winter coat. And somehow that process of checking on a winter coat for him required me to walk through like every section of Target and shop for two hours. It was heavenly because Target, I don't go often. And when I do, it's literally, it is my Disneyland get very excited about it. I was like sweating by the time I left but not because it had been rigorous. It was like this is maybe sign of an illness but I was sweating because I was having like an endorphin rush about all the cool things that I got for really good prices. So like I am this is why I cannot go to Target very often because I literally like I have a cardiac event over the whole thing. So Anyways, that was successful. And while I was there, I was looking at all the fall stuff like, oh, I probably do need these boots. And they're only $40, of course. And I probably do need like all these other things. So I got like a new winter purse, which I felt justified in because I'd used the same winter purse the last two years, which I still really love, but a new one was nice. So I don't know. We justify a lot of things when we go into Target. And especially with the seasons changing, it felt like very necessary to me to get in on some good deals for fall. So Happy about that. Also, I am back from Las Vegas. So, when I last recorded, I was about to head to Las Vegas with my mom and my sister and some of our extended family. And we did that. But when I last recorded, the shooting had not taken place in Las Vegas. And so, my episode last Monday had been pre recorded and did not acknowledge at all that that shooting had happened. So, if any of you thought that's weird, it was because that episode was recorded before I went. So, anyways, we did, we went to Las Vegas. The shooting happened on Monday, two weeks ago. We went on Thursday. You know, it's really a unique situation to have something like that. I mean, obviously, the whole thing is a unique situation, but to have an event like that happen in a city like Las Vegas definitely had some really interesting or created some really interesting circumstances because most of the people in like the heart of Las Vegas, you know, what you and I think of as Las Vegas, if you're not a resident, we think of the strip. The people that spend time there are largely. Visiting from out of town. And so it's largely tourists. And so for people who would book tickets and to events and hotels and conferences and plane tickets and like all these things, like that's a lot of money for people to put down. So most people, I think, still showed up for all their stuff, which is, you know, great for the Las Vegas business world that they weren't financially impacted by, uh, hopefully, by a whole lot of loss of business. But it didn't, I don't think, allow for the city to grieve. And Every single time we got in a Lyft or an Uber, I asked the driver, I said, how are you doing? How's this week been? And every single driver was like, we're kind of just back to normal because they had to be because that's the nature of living there and making money there is that you have to show up for the people who are ready to pay for your services. Like That's how you get by. And so they people couldn't afford to like not show up. And so I got the feeling that like the first couple days, Monday and Tuesday of that week, were pretty quiet, low-key, mellow. And then it was just kind of back to normal. You did see all over the city billboards and signs and marquees and all sorts of things that just acknowledged what had happened and different ways that people could contribute and support victims. And so that was really nice. My cousin and my sister and I walked over to Mandalay Bay one morning and We weren't sure what to expect or what would be set up there. But there was one memorial and I posted pictures on Instagram. If you want to go to my Instagram at the Shameless Mom Academy, there was one memorial set up that was on this like median in the middle of a very busy street, which was kind of interesting. But there wasn't really a place on the Mandalay Bay property to set up a memorial just because of the way the property is structured. There wasn't like a place for a public memorial to be set up. And then where the actual event happened, it was everything was still like completely set up and fenced off and police taped off. So you couldn't do a memorial there because literally like you couldn't even get onto the sidewalk where the event took place and the whole like city block area where that had taken place, everything was just completely fenced off for the crime scene. So there couldn't be a memorial there. So they're literally the memorial that was there was in this wide median where trees are planted. So if you know, if you haven't been to Las Vegas, but if you imagine going down kind of like a fancy Boulevard street, where there's like this wide median where trees and plants are planted, that's maybe like I don't know, like 10 feet wide or something, there was a memorial there in the middle of the street at the intersection between Mandalay Bay where the event had actually taken place right across the street from Mandalay Bay. So a couple of interesting things about that. What was really shocking when we first got into Las Vegas, the hotel room windows at Mandalay Bay were still blown out. So you could see exactly where everything had happened. Um, By the next morning, they were boarded up when we walked over there, it was really interesting to see how far the distance from Mandalay Bay to where this concert had been going on was way further than I had expected. I thought it was just going to be like right below the hotel on the hotel property. And if you're familiar with hotels in Las Vegas, like they take up massive amounts of space. (laughs) Like they are huge and they take up, the properties are just massive. And so from the hotel room where the gunman was to where the concert was, was actually shockingly far to me. And the precision and expertise he must have had to do what he did in that distance was alarming. So that was interesting. At the memorial itself, there was a lot of candles lit, pictures, letters, signs up where people could sign names and write messages Just all sorts of like sweet mementos, tons of flowers, bouquets of flowers. So it was sweet to see that. It was chilling to see that. It was emotional to see it. It was really definitely like all of the trip. We had a great trip, but it was definitely like impacted our trip. That was always kind of in the back of my mind, knowing that that had just happened and so many lives were impacted by that. So the other side of our trip was that my mom celebrated her 79th birthday. She got mad because I kept telling people it was her 79th birthday. By the last night, she was like yelling at me. And I was like, I am proud of her because she is like so able-bodied. She's able to go to Las Vegas for the first time at 79 and go to see Celine Dion. And we went to the Beatles Love Show, that's, which is a Cirque du Soleil show. We like walked all over the place and she did great. And so I'm like thinking I'm bragging about her when I tell people how old she is and she's embarrassed and horrified. So, but we ended up, we had a really, really great trip, a really fun trip. And by the end of the trip, she's like, well, we're doing this again for my 80th birthday, right? So I guess I'm going back next October. So it was a really great trip. And I would just encourage you, if you have those opportunities to do special things with your family, sometimes it gets complicated, sometimes it's stressful, you know, it can be stressful from the standpoint of like, you know, the financial piece of it, the coordinating schedules, the who's taking care of the kids, all those kinds of things. But I have to say, when you get that all set up, and you do it, it's so impactful and it's so special. So if you've been thinking about doing a special trip with someone in your family, I would say like, just do your best to make it happen. Okay, so let's dive into today's topic, how to make space for new habits. I'm super excited about talking about this because it's been something, a conversation I've been having with a lot of people recently. I gave a talk at Seattle Startup Week a couple weeks ago, and I did talk about some of my habits. And I talked about some of my like micro habits, like just little things I do every day that aren't like earth shattering things, but they're really powerful. And one of the things I talked about was reading for 10 minutes. And that one of the things I said was that big change doesn't come from big action. Big change happens 10 minutes at a time. And I would argue a lot of times big change happens one minute at a time. And I'm going to give you some examples of that in a minute here. So I think that sometimes when we think about making new habits and putting like new quote unquote rules into effect for ourselves, we think of big earth shattering things that have to be really hard and complicated and overwhelming. And it doesn't have to be that way. This is showing up a lot in my conversations at my gym right now. We have people doing our Total Body Transformation Program. And some conversations have come up around stress eating and how that is a go-to coping mechanism for people. And that's a very common coping mechanism is to eat when you're stressed out or to drink. And so one of the comments that came up on the either the first or second day of the program was that a couple of the women were saying, you know, one of them said like, oh my gosh, it's the middle of the morning at my house and like all these crazy things have happened and it's, I'm so stressed out about it and I just want to stress eat. And she's like, I'm embarrassed to say I'm even thinking about wine, and it's like 9am. She's like, I swear I don't drink wine at 9am. But like, it is crossing my mind right now. So this episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, I swear it's like, that happened. And then another woman chimed in later and said, she'd had this really stressful day at work, and she came home late, and she wanted to like stress eat and drink and do all these things that we just have kind of oftentimes unconsciously put into our lives as coping skills instead of actually coping. (laughs) And So that's been a common conversation and a theme around which we've centered some conversations this week in that group at the gym. So I thought this would be a good place to talk about it as well. Because as you are entering a new season, as we're entering fall it's also a time where we are oftentimes shifting habits. And especially when, as the weather is changing, it's changed really dramatically here in the last week in Seattle with like a lot less consistency of sun. And even when it is sunny, like yesterday, I went for a walk thinking like, oh, it's so sunny out. And it was like super cold and windy. I was like, oh, like it's beautiful and sunny, but like not warm. Like summer is definitely gone. So we're rapidly approaching winter. So oftentimes as we move between seasons, we kind of settle into habits. So this is a kind of a good time to be thinking about what are the habits that work well for you and fuel you in different ways? And then what are the habits that don't? So eight things I want to talk about here on how to make space for new habits. So the first thing is I want you to identify the habits that no longer serve you. Identify the habits that don't fuel you. Identify the habits that suck your energy, that suck your motivation, that... Maybe suck your pride because they make you feel bad about yourself. Any habits that you want to replace, like start thinking about what are those habits and identify them. Because even like identifying stress eating, sometimes we don't even know that we're doing that. I had a situation with roommates years ago. One of my roommates came home and I was in the kitchen, standing in this corner of the kitchen facing the wall. And he goes, oh, there's Sarah in her eating corner or something like that. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, like whenever you are snacking, you like stand in this corner of the kitchen and eat. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like my secret eating corner. I didn't even know I did it. And then I was so conscientious. Anytime I went to go snack on anything or eat mindlessly, I was so aware that like, oh my gosh, here I am. I'm in the corner again. And it took someone else pointing that out to me to be like, oh my gosh. And it wasn't like, he wasn't saying it like in a negative put down way at all. He was just kind of joking around with me like there she is hiding in her corner. And I was like, oh my gosh, I totally do have like a stress eating corner. I had no idea. So sometimes we don't even know that we have these behaviors until we realize that they're not serving us or until someone points them out. So kind of think about what are some of the things, you know, for some people it might be like, drinking after dinner. So I used to be someone who, especially on the weekends, like I would love to like watch movies and sit on the couch and do whatever and like have a couple glasses of wine. I realized finally over time that like, if I have two drinks before dinner, I'm fine the next day. If I have two drinks after dinner, totally hungover, like headache, just like lethargic, cranky, not an awesome mom, not an awesome wife. So for me, I had to kind of figure that out over time and connect the dots to be like, kind of sucks the day after I have those two drinks. And so for me, it was like, oh, but I did learn if I have them before dinner, that's fine or with dinner, but it can't be an after dinner thing for me. So I'm really careful with that now because it's just not worth it to me in the long run. It's not worth it to me to be cranky the next day or trying to be like overcoming a hangover while parenting. Oh, it's the worst. Or if I want to do a workout the next morning or whatever. So I'm just conscientious of like, I'm not going to give up wine, but I'm also not going to use wine in a way that takes away from other areas of my life. So identify the old habit that you want to replace. That's number one. And then number two is identifying replacement habits. And so this is where you need to think about what are the new things you want to put in the space of the old habit? Because you can't just say, oh, I'm just not going to stress eat anymore. Or I'm just not going to drink anymore. or I'm just not going to whatever. I'm just not going to go on. It's like, so I'm not going to do it social media anymore. I'm just going to not do it. You can't just take away a behavior because you leave this huge vacuum where that behavior lived and it will be painful. So for example, if you're someone who eats ice cream every night after you put the kids to bed, if you just stop eating ice cream, the only thing you're going to think about every single night during that time is like, I want the ice cream. 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 That's all you're going to think about. So you have to put something new in that place. So you have to find what is your new replacement habit going to be and practice with it. And those replacement habits can be all sorts of different things, but let them be things that fuel you and serve you in a positive way. So for example, if you are someone who stress eats at night, maybe you get in the routine of taking a walk after dinner, or maybe you get in the routine of taking a bath after the kids go to bed. Maybe you get in the routine of having tea every evening because hot liquids will make you feel full. And also they take some time to consume. So that takes up the time when you would have normally had like a bowl of ice cream and some popcorn and some Oreos and whatever. So those are all replacement habits. Also thinking about, you know, if you are someone who feels like you are wasting time on social media, what can replacement habits be? So maybe you set a timer Or an alarm where you don't go on social media for like four hour intervals every day. And you're like, okay, I can get on social media. Instead of getting on whenever you want, instead of just the random unconscious clicking over to social media, which many of us do, myself included, I've totally been guilty of it, still am sometimes. Maybe you set a timer where you're like, okay, I'm allowed to get on social media at like noon and four o'clock for 10 minutes each time and that's it. So you have some sort of rule for yourself. So you decide what that new replacement habit is going to be. Or maybe every time, instead of clicking over to social media like you want to, every time you do that, click over to a Word document that is like a to-do list or journaling or click over to YouTube and don't like it sucked into YouTube, but turn on your favorite song or click over to iTunes and like find, again, finding music that you like. Find something else to click on that becomes your go-to for clicking rather than social media. I've tried to do this where like, If I'm not allowed to click on social media, I'm allowed to click on my inbox, which is so not fun, but it actually makes me get something done because oftentimes for me, when I click over to social media, it's when I'm like in the middle of writing or I need like just a mental break from something where I've been having to think and process. And so sometimes I'll go to my inbox. I'm not saying that's the best replacement habit. It's definitely not super fun, but it's more productive than clicking over to Facebook, where I will get sucked in and spend much more time. If I click over to email, it's like, okay, I'm only going to do these couple. Like, I'll reply to this thing really quickly and then go back to whatever I was working on. If email's a rabbit hole for you, that's not a good replacement habit. So, hey, mamas, I just wanted to pop in and talk about some shameless mom support. I have been getting a lot of requests for different areas and ways that I can be more supportive of you in stuff that you're working on, stuff you're going through, maybe things that you wanna talk with someone about but you don't wanna talk to like your partner with or you don't maybe, doesn't feel appropriate for your current network of girlfriends or whatever the situation may be. I just wanted to let you know that I am doing one-on-one coaching with people who are maybe going through transitions, whether it's a personal transition or transformation, maybe it's a professional situation. Maybe you're just trying to figure out what you want to do personally and professionally around certain thoughts and habits that you have. But I've been working with people on a one-on-one basis with this, and it's been really, really fabulous. And the feedback I've gotten has been really powerful in terms of people feeling like they can connect with me. And work with me on the level of a life coach. I'm not a therapist, but life coach, therapist, personal trainer, nutritionist. Like I have experience in all these different things because of my background in psych, because of my background in mental health, because of my background in nutrition and fitness. So, I would be more than happy to connect with any of you if you do want some support in any area of your life in terms of accountability or transformation. Those are definitely things I specialize in. So please feel free to reach out to me if you wanna know more about how I work with people on a one-on-one basis. You can reach out to me at info at shamelessmom.com. Just shoot me an email and just say, I would love to connect. And from there, I can get you connected and set up just a little call where we can talk through what you want to talk about, if we would be a good fit to work together one-on-one and kind of how that all works so that it would be something that could be really beneficial and supportive to you and your current needs. So I can't wait to chat with you. Again, you can connect with me over at info at shamelessmom.com. And now back to the show. Okay, number three, after you've identified replacement habits, create space and grace for yourself. So I talked a lot about space and grace in this talk I just did at Seattle Startup Week. And I talked about space and grace around reframing things and creating conscientiousness about what you're doing. And so when it comes to replacement habits, you have to create space to find the new habit, to practice the new habit. You need to find the grace to identify that like, okay, I need to be conscientious that this old habit, it wasn't serving me. Here's how I want the new habit to take the place of it. Here's how I want to practice it. Here's what it's going to look like and feel like. Here's how I can actively work the new habit into my system, my habits, my routines, my lifestyle. So you just need to give yourself some space and grace around the whole thing. For me, that looked like rejiggering my morning routine over the last year and a half. Like I've done a lot of different things to kind of rejigger it to what it is right now. And I also recognize that what works for me right now might not always be the thing that works for me, but I'm cool with how it is right now. And so I've given myself the space and the grace to figure some of that out. Like I used to do a lot more things in my morning routine and some of them didn't serve me as well. So I was trying to do like affirmations and meditation and journaling and reading and working out. And for me, even though there's some protocols around all those things that work really, really well for people and i did like doing all of them but i didn't find that committing that kind of time to myself in the morning was the most beneficial use of my time so instead i have broken up some of those activities throughout my day i don't do some of those activities anymore like some of them just never really resonated with me for example affirmations was one i struggled with and visualization was another one i struggled with so Probably those are the ones I need to work on the most, but for right now I've kind of shelved them where I'm like, okay, these are not things I'm gonna make a priority right now. At some point I will. Like clearly, often the things that we need to work on the most are the things that we avoid. So that's something I learned in yoga. Like the I said to a teacher once, I was like, I hate the hamstring stretches at the end. I was like, they're not hard, but for some reason they're my least favorite thing. And she's like, the things that you dislike the most are the things you need to practice the most. And I kind of wanted to slap her because I was like, yeah, she's totally right, damn it. So creating that space and grace for just conscientiousness around what you're doing, to be aware of what the old habit is, to be aware of what the new habit is, and then be really aware of the steps that you're taking. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Number four is starting small. So when you are doing replacement habits, let them be small, little baby steps. When I started reading in the morning, I didn't sit down and read for an hour. I read for 10 minutes. This morning, it was actually five minutes and I set a timer. So it doesn't need to be this like massive commitment to a massive goal. It can just be one quick little thing. And your thing might be like a one minute thing. You know, yours can be so different. So maybe you're looking at, you're trying to not eat in your stress eating corner of the kitchen like I used to do. So maybe for you, it's like instead of stress eating in the corner of the kitchen, I put a portion of something on a plate and I sit down at the dining room table and I eat it mindfully. Like that is a super quick way, just a small minor adjustment, but you're tweaking the behavior. That's a lot different than standing in the kitchen with a full bag of chips, mindlessly eating the chips. I used to do this with wheat thins and cream cheese. This was like my favorite snack in college. And I swear it's like a snack of nostalgia now for me. So I would get a box of wheat thins and a a container of cream cheese. And of course I would get the fat-free cream cheese, which is basically like, I don't know, rubber. And I would scoop with the wheat thin, like the wheat thin was my scoop. And I would scoop cream cheese and wheat thins. And I would just like endlessly just go and go and go. And that was like a very soothing routine for me. It also did not serve me in any way, except for for me to have this stress eating thing, which is that's probably the exact snack I was eating, by the way, when my roommate pointed out my stress eating corner in the kitchen. So to switch that trigger. If I were to instead be like, okay, I'm going to not stress eat the wheat thins and the cream cheese anymore. not going to hide in my corner of the kitchen. I'm going to put like eight wheat thins on a plate with a tablespoon of cream cheese. And I'm going to go sit down at the kitchen table and eat them or the dining room table and eat them that would have completely changed that behavior. That would have completely broken the old habit and their old routine. And it wouldn't have had to even be super painful because I wasn't even taking away like the thing that I liked. I was just controlling it in a better way so that it actually could serve me so that I wasn't just mindlessly eating something that I didn't need and taking up space from like food that I actually needed as fuel for lunch. Like some protein, maybe, perhaps. (laughs) This episode is supported by Air Doctor. You probably don't know that Americans take in about 20,000 breaths per day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors. The indoor air that we breathe can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air, according to the EPA. Indoor air pollutants can cause upper respiratory symptoms like sneezing, coughing, congestion, scratchy throat, and even more serious health problems like lung and heart disease. So what's the solution? Introducing Air Doctor, the air purifier that filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so your lungs don't have to. This includes allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and Viruses. I am so excited that we just got our own air doctor for our house and we will have it all up and running and ready to go in time for all the things that come with spring weather, but also smoke season, which is just around the corner for those of us in the Pacific Northwest. And I know many of you across the country. So here's how you can get your own air doctor. First of all, air doctor comes with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know, like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse. And so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect. So Vinny does not like ointmenty, creamy lotiony things on his body. But I was able to get out the spray, literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived, put it on his toe before he went to bed. And the next morning, he was like, Mom Okay. Number five is practice often. So you want to practice the replacement behavior often. So anytime I'm trying to put a new habit in place, I want to practice it really often. I don't want to practice it once a month because once a month, it's going to feel hard every time. I remember when I used to do a lot of hot yoga and I also was doing triathlons at the time. I had to be training, seriously training, biking, running, and swimming for many months of the year. And then I would also try to get hot yoga in because I felt like that also kept me really limber and really well conditioned and injury free during triathlon season. But it got really hard at times to keep up that kind of a schedule to do yoga a few times a week and then train these other three sports. And so I remember there'd be times when I would let yoga slide and oh man, if I only did it like every couple of weeks, every class was so hard. And it was like mentally grueling just to get myself there. But when I was going consistently like twice a week, every time was felt really good. And so with a replacement habit, you want to put it in your life in a way that it is simple to implement and that it doesn't take up a lot of mental energy so that you're not like oh my gosh how am i going to fit it in where is it going to fit is it going to be hard is it going to hurt do i really want to do it is it going to be painful like no you want it to keep be super simple so for me with reading in the morning if i had to set aside 30 minutes to read every morning i would talk my way out of it all the time but instead i do 10 minutes or like this morning i did 5 minutes That I can easily say yes to because it's not taking over my whole morning. So when I give myself that permission to make it small and then to just make sure I do it every day, then it's not a big deal. But if I were to do it like 30 minutes every morning, I would back out of it many mornings and then it would be like a big deal the mornings I ended up doing it. I'd be like, oh, now I have to get up extra early to read tomorrow morning. And it would just be like a way bigger thing. So starting small and practicing often is really important. And I've talked about this before, but along the lines of practicing often, Is this idea of recency and frequency. So the things that you have done most recently are the things you're most likely to replicate. So if you stress eat the wheat thins and the cream cheese in your stress eating corner of the kitchen every day, you're really likely to keep doing that. Like if you've done it 13 days in a row, you're really likely to do it on day 14. So you do it frequently and then you've done it recently. If I've done it as recently as yesterday, I'm really likely to do it again. Once you start implementing these new behaviors, again, with recency and frequency, like if the new behavior is pulling eight wheat thins out of the box, sitting at the table to eat them with a little tiny scoop of cream cheese that you've measured out, that becomes the recent behavior. And over time, it becomes the frequent behavior. And then you're more likely to replicate that. Like once you've done that three or four days in a row, you are much more likely to do it on day five, six, seven, than going back to the old habit. So recency and frequency get to be really powerful when you have this consistent practice of implementing a new habit. Number six, be prepared for the challenge. Acknowledge that it might be hard and it might kind of suck. So if you're like, I'm not going to drink wine while I make dinner every night, be fully prepared to kind of hate that the first couple nights. And I've gone through this where I'm like, I'm not going to drink wine while I make dinner. I'm going to eat some cucumbers instead. Like I'm going to tell you right now, not that gratifying, but if I do it enough times in a row, it also is like not that big of a deal. It's totally fine. So I have to acknowledge when I go in phases of like drinking every night while I'm making dinner, having a glass of wine, I don't drink a lot every night, but I will get in the habit of like, I'm going to have a glass of wine every night while I make dinner. When I try to break that, that first night is always like uncomfortable and it, there's a vacuum there. So I have to put something there. So I'm like, that's when I eat the cucumbers or whatever, or have like sparkling water in a wine glass, which actually totally does work for me mentally. I don't know why it's just the wine glass, I guess is all I need. But I will acknowledge the whole time, like, it's always really hard the first night I do this. And so this is going to be hard. And then I know like the second night way easier, the third night, like not even a big deal. So I know what that feels like. I know that it's going to be hard initially. Same thing with, you know, if you're trying to cut back on social media, you're going to be like, I don't even know what to do with myself. Like when my mind wanders, like, what do I even click on? What do I do? Like, it's going to feel awkward and uncomfortable. And there might be some struggle in that. And that's okay. That's part of growing and evolving and developing new habits and pushing yourself to new limits. So that's totally fine. And this goes hand in hand with number seven, which is embrace discomfort, like embrace that, be like, this is the uncomfortable part. This is exactly where Sarah said, it's going to kind of be uncomfortable. It might suck a little bit. This is where I'm going to want to do the old habit again. So I'm just being aware of that. And then on the other side of that, when you've gotten through and you've done the new habit and you've not done the old habit, you're going to feel awesome. And you're gonna be like, "Oh, I'm so glad I did that. That was totally worth it. So it's really important that you embrace that discomfort and be like, okay, this is the part that kind of sucks rather than like, ignoring it or pretending it's not there. Or just giving in and being like, well, this is kind of uncomfortable. So I'm not going to do it. Just acknowledging like this is the part that's kind of hard. So I'm in the hard part right now. Yay me. Like that means you're working toward the end of the hard part, right? If you're working through it. So then this leads to number eight, which is acknowledging the rewards of the replacement habit. So my example of like, I cannot have two glasses of wine before I go to bed. The reward of that is that the next day I feel so much better when I don't do that. I feel so much better if I'm going to have alcohol, if I have it before dinner or during dinner and then I'm done. That's very rewarding because the next day I feel great. I can get up, I can work out, I sleep better, I wake up in a way better mood, I'm a better mom. So that's all super validating. But you have to acknowledge that that's the reward, you have to really acknowledge what it is. So same thing, if you're looking at stress eating, if you're someone who stress eats a lot of junk food, like how does that make you feel probably makes you feel full and sluggish and really low energy after you're done, right? If you were to instead make yourself a sensible snack of like, maybe I don't know, some string cheese and some vegetables and like an apple, still a reasonable amount of food, but you're not mindlessly stress eating chips or whatever is your thing. You're going to feel refueled, re-energized, revitalized by that habit. So you have to be really mindful of like, oh, I did this new thing and oh, it actually, it feels really great. So maybe an old habit for you is hitting snooze through a workout in the morning. So you intend to get up and work out at 6 a.m., But the alarm goes off and you hit snooze and you do this over and over and over. And every week you're like, okay, this week, like Monday morning for sure. And then it just doesn't happen. Or maybe it happens on Monday, but never again the whole rest of the week. So you have to really look at once you make yourself do it, once you make yourself get up. What does it feel like after you've done that? You have to identify the reward and identify how great that feels. And so when you recognize, like, oh my gosh, the mornings that I get up and work out at 6 a.m., I am on top of the world by 645. I've accomplished more in that 45 minutes than a lot of people accomplish in their whole day in terms of movement. I feel strong, I feel powerful, I feel capable, I am In a great mood, I feel totally energized to deal with my kids, and the morning routine just feels better because I have these endorphins rushing through me rather than like rubbing sleep out of my eyes while my children are screaming. So it's just so different. So, being really aware of how amazing that feels rather than just focusing on, oh, it's just really hard to get out of bed at 6 a.m. If that's all you focus on, you're not going to stick with the replacement behavior. You have to acknowledge the rewards of the replacement habit. That's the only way you will stick with it. So that is a super, super key component. So some examples, those are my eight tips for making space for new habits. An example of some habits you might wanna just think about if these maybe might be relatable to you would be stress eating, like I mentioned, maybe staying up too late at night or sleeping, like hitting snooze too many times in the morning and either missing a workout, missing quiet time to yourself, just having a rushed and stressful morning with your family. Maybe it's something around alcohol, maybe that is a habit that you should reconsider or replace, skipping workouts, wasting time on social media, maybe gossiping or your interactions with other people. I actually had a friend tell me recently, she sent me a text about something. She'd sent me this story, like she'd heard something about this person and something about their personal life. And she sent me just like a one line about the whole thing. Like, hey, I heard this happen to this person. And it was a little bit of shocking news. And she told me later, she goes, I was totally disappointed in your response. But So like, there's times in my life for sure. And even now that where I would be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that. And like, where you kind of just like feed into the like, you want to talk about someone and like dig up the dirt. And instead, I was like, oh, wow, I'm so sad for them. I hope they're okay. And it was like this very compassionate response. And she was like, yeah, that's not what I was looking for. She was like, I kind of wanted to dig into this with you. Because sometimes like with girlfriends that you've had for your entire life, that's what you want to do. Totally get it. But also sometimes if that's like the entirety of your relationship with people, like sometimes you need to back that off a little bit, which that's definitely not the entirety of my relationship with this friend. But it made me think of like, oh, like I have kind of trained myself (laughs) to not be as gossipy as I used to be. and. I'm not perfect by any means. Don't get me wrong. I still love a good story about someone else, but there's definitely things where I'm like, "Oh, I just want to be compassionate." Like if someone's going through a hard time, like you know, honor that. So it was kind of funny. So I haven't made a super conscientious effort to minimize my gossiping habit, but apparently I have done that somewhat subconsciously, and I've replaced it my gossiping with compassionate comments, (laughs) which were not super well received from this friend, but we got a good laugh out of the whole thing. So. All right, that's what I got for you today. I hope you learned something from this episode and please do share this episode. Take a screenshot of this episode from your phone and post it on social media and tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy or at Sarah Sutherland Dean on Facebook, or Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. But tag me and I will comment right away. Tag me in your Insta stories if you want. I will comment as soon as I see it. I would love to be able to interact with you and know that you've listened to the episode and that you've loved it. But also that gives you the chance to share this episode with other people who might want to be learning these kinds of things so that they can be improving their habits and their routines and just feel like a little bit more of a badass by the end of today, right? So do share the love. Also, if you have not listened to the show before, if this is your first time, do know that we release new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. Have a great interview coming up on Wednesday with Stephanie Lambert. And we talk about some counterculture parenting, which is super interesting conversation. She talks about some things she's done in parenting that have been really interesting and definitely have gone against the grain a little bit. And she kind of gave me like a little some sneak peeks into what might be in my future, which was interesting as well. So it was a great conversation. And I look forward to sharing with that with you on Wednesday. If you are not already subscribed to the show, make sure you go over to iTunes or to Apple podcasts or on Stitcher and you can go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will drop you into Apple podcasts where you can just click on the subscribe button and make sure you never miss an episode. Once you subscribe, you will be able to get episodes as soon as they are released. So thank you for spending time with me today in the shameless. Mom Academy. I appreciate you taking the time and I hope you learned something new. And no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly.
1: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence